Hello and welcome to On Board with Cruise Passenger, a podcast series for people who choose to cruise and those considering a cruise holiday. Hello and welcome to another special edition of On Board with Cruise Passenger. I'm Rose Jacobs, your host. And I'm Peter Lynch, Editor-in-Chief of CruisePassenger.com.au and Cruise and Travel Magazine. You're pretty important, Peter. Now, uh, Peter, I know you are particularly excited about today's podcast. I am, as they say, beyond excited, but I really am, Rose, because we're talking to Mick Fogg. He's a legend, Director of Expeditions and Destination Development, Asia-Pacific for Ponant, one of our favourite lines, and a man who spent 20 years creating bespoke adventures in some of the world's most remote destinations and regions. Yes, and uh, that's that's the action man yes. in, yeah, in <laughs> you, Peter, being excited about this. And, and I have to agree, Mick Fogg is amazing. When we use the word legend... That makes you sound older than you are. You're you're definitely still young, Mick, and full of energy. But you have led over 300 expeditions through the sub-Antarctic, Southeast Asia and the Oceania regions. And Mick's an award-winning wildlife photographer as well as if you can't do enough in a short (laughs) period of time. Welcome, Mick. Howdy. How are you going? Thanks, Rosie and Peter. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed by that, actually. It's a little, you might have overdone that a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, go on. My work here is done. (laughs) I bet you're not. Stay with us, listeners, as well, because at the end of this podcast, we're going to tell you how you can get an extra 25% of value from a Penant cruise close to home this coming season. And now Penant is, as Peter mentioned, one of our absolute favourite cruise lines, and that's for us at Cruise Passenger. We know our stuff. But for me... It's mostly because of their approach to conservation, which I'm very passionate about. Absolutely. And on top of that, they're incredibly courteous and concerned about the way they deal with local cultures. Did you know they actually send ahead on each expedition to ask Indigenous elders if it's okay to come ashore wherever they are? I love that. I love that. And it is incredible. But I'm dying to ask Mick, what happens if they say no? (laughs) Look, it's an interesting one. (laughs) No, bugger off. (laughs) Well, it's a definitely interesting one. It has happened in the past, you know. We we always want to keep open communication with our remote communities. And we have had a couple of instances in the past where there's been deaths or, or something tragic has happened in the remote villages and we've, we've had to go to another destination but you know that's mm. the real key in an expedition cruise is being able to deal with that on the spot changing the itinerary mm. around to develop you know and deliver something very very similar in a just a different location i totally hear what you're saying there um I lived in Vanuatu for a few years not long ago and I actually lived next door to a tribe. And and you're right, there are always things happening um, that could be traditional or cultural or environmental. Cyclones happen, you know, you name it, but it means that they go through periods of being approachable or not and you you need to have an understanding and a respect for that. I well remember being told the difference between a real expedition cruise and a soft luxury expedition cruise goes like this. It's lunchtime. Everybody's sitting having their lunch and there are a pot of whales off the port mm-hmm. bow. Um, two announcements. On a real expedition ship, <laughs> there's a pot of whales off the port bow, abandoned lunch. It'll be kept in the fridge. Get on the, the boats now. We're going to see them. But on a different ship... 
Uh, there's some whales off the port bow. Please finish your lunch. When you're ready, and if they're still there, we'll get off the ship. <laughs> would you agree with that, Mick? And would you like some more champagne? <laughs> yes, I think um, it's quite ironical that you that you say that, Peter, because regularly we are interrupting events. And, and you know, there are times when our hotel department is a little bit taken aback by <laughs> exactly. And it cannot always be convenient. And it's, you know, Antarctica is a classic for that with 24 hours of daylight. You know, it, it's not uncommon to be making announcements in the middle of the night. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to that as it happens. And, and indeed, this week, Panot released its first sustainability report, promising eco-designed ships that will have zero impact on the environment. Wow. And I was particularly struck by what the CEO said. We see ourselves as having a responsibility to our guests, our employees and local communities to promote meaningful voyages. That word meaningful, I think, is so powerful and so important. It definitely is, isn't it? And I I think that's what has to happen. I I think, you know, the clientele, the the modern day traveller on a a small luxury expedition is looking for that immersive educational experience. You know, it has to be meaningful to the places you're Mm. going to, but it also has to be meaningful for the people you're visiting. You know, there has to be a two-way street with that. So we have to open those areas up to people. It gives them an understanding of different cultures and customs, which makes them respect that. Uh, And also, too, when it comes to remote areas, Mm. you're trying to create ambassadors for those locations. And so all of that, I think, intertwines to becoming a a meaningful experience. And And the core of that is education. And when you take people to places like the Arctic or the Antarctic, do you think it substantially changes them when they're coming back? Are they talking about different things? Oh, absolutely. I, I think so, definitely, without without a doubt. You know, when we go to those areas of remoteness and, and you know, because when you sit, when you walk through a supermarket or you go through a Westfield shopping centre and, and someone's wanting to talk to you about the environment, it's not in the forefront of your mind. You know, it's not there. But when you've seen it, you know, it, you go, Oh, my God, you know, <laughs> True. You, you now understand it. But if you haven't seen it, you don't understand what's going on and what the plight may be, be it environmental, social, whatever, you know. But once you take into that location, mm. I, I think people's minds are changed. Absolutely. Yes. I remember being told by uh, one expedition leader who uh, uh, dealt in the American market that he would go out with um, a bunch of American businessmen and they would all be complaining, oh, the price or politics, oh, my God. Mistakes and not cooked exactly. well enough. Yes. And then he'd show them one piece of wildlife, maybe a bear, maybe a seal, and on the way back, all the conversation had completely changed. It was like, what are we doing about the environment? How much does it cost? Where can I donate? How can I get involved in the fight for the environment? Completely different group. Brilliant. So on that note as well, Mick, I've just had an idea. I mean, of course, consultation is happening with these communities that have a voice. What about the wildlife that obviously cannot express whether they are quite keen for you to arrive today or not? Um, You know, the whale pod is um, just having a bad day. Nope, come back tomorrow. How do you manage that? (laughs) (laughs) Who speaks for the 
animals. <laughs> the, the unknown elephant. <laughs> Who speaks to the animals? Well, it's interesting you, you raise that point. And I think from my own experience, spending more time in the tropics, I think if we look at somewhere like Borneo and the orangutans mm. there, you know, taking several voyages into those regions and, and part and parcel of that is we, you know, we adopt an orangutan on behalf of every single guest. <gasps> wow. That allows them to then understand what is going on with that. So we will adopt that orangutan. We do it for a year. We hope they continue it. Most mm. of them do uh, yeah. for the rest of their lives. Um, right. It's only a small contribution. Sorry, just to clarify, I've also been um, an ambassador and, and I've adopted an orangutan. For anyone who hasn't, it doesn't mean you get to take that orangutan <laughs> home <laughs> with you. Thank goodness. Just to clarify. <laughs> and, and, but you are, you're in fact the first ambassador of the Orangutan Foundation International for the work that you did in Borneo. That's pretty amazing. Look, you're very lucky to have spent time in, in Borneo and, and you know, when you're there, again, what we're talking about is when you see it firsthand, it, it really drives it home. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget travelling up a river and, and seeing a massive amount of wildlife that's in the trees over the river. And then when we stopped the boat mm. and I walked 50 metres away, all I could see to the end of the horizon was a palm oil plantation. So the only place these animals could survive oh, was along the river ridge, you know, and it sort of it really brings it home to you. You know, it's a wonderful wildlife experience, but, you know, the wildlife is really struggling there. So that led me on to a path mm. of wanting to educate people about that. And, and again, that combination of mm. being able to take people to these remote areas in, you know, comfort and safety on board luxury expedition ships allows them to see it. Otherwise, they just wouldn't get there. And then... You know, that then opened up the mm. whole avenue of being able to expose people to the plight of the orangutan. And so, and that has led us to this mm. adoption program we do for all of our guests and also to in, in raising money for locking up the forests. And, and we've we've done that. We, we've raised significant amounts of money on board various vessels over time to, you know, maintain those forests and to stop them from being logged down in the first place. Because as Orangutan Foundation is national, we don't want to care for orangutans. Mm. We don't want them in our care. We want them in the wild, you know. Mm. That's the Band-Aid solution, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you want to get back to the, the original source of the problem. But for those people that... Um, have then been first-hand experience on a Penant adventure, they then go home and educate their family and friends and then those people are more likely to make informed decisions about the products they purchase that may or may not in, include the palm oil. And, and so there are even further positive repercussions that Penant has in the wider community, would you say? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's it. It's, it's getting that education across to them with our team of experts on board uh, and putting them in the place where it's real. Uh, and then they take that back and then they spread the word. Mm. I've got to say, I can't think of a better classroom than on a Penant ship. It sounds absolutely fabulous as an experience. Exactly. Now, <laughs> Mick, yours is um, not something I would describe as a desk job. Um, how did you become an expedition leader? 
it's interesting. What is that? It's certainly not the the average everyday job that I do, and and it's funny because I say, "What do you do for a living?" And I just have to sometimes just cut it down and, and give a simple answer, like, "Oh, I work on a ship." Or just hand over your business card. You know, uh, expedition leader. Yeah, it's like James Bond. Yeah, yeah. yeah look go at some, on. It, how did how did it start? Oh, so I, I spent a, a fair bit of time working at a university for around about 10 years. I, I was working at a research station on the reef. And then I left that and went into driving dive boats for a couple of years. And at that time, okay. I, I actually started my own little boutique company because I'd been to Borneo and was doing trekking across there. And I thought, how do I combine all of this? Mm. You know, how do I combine all this together mm. and and make a career out of travel? You know, <laughs> how do I do that? Yes. <laughs> we have a lot in common. <laughs> We're all, well, we all want that know, secret. I think it was, yeah. wasn't it Mark Twain that said, if you can make a vacation from your vocation, then you've won at the game of life? You know, something along those lines. Oh, Fabulous. I love that quote. Oh, I love that. I'm going to put that on my business card. That's unreal. Okay, so with that in mind, you play a major role in deciding on which destinations become expedition destinations. I mean, how do you make that decision? Oh, there's a huge number of them, isn't there? There's a, there's a huge amount of destinations <laughs> to travel to and, and which ones do you choose? For me... You know, I really like the destination that people never thought they were ever wanting to go to, but when they get there, think, why did I ever want to come here? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because they just don't know about it. You know, how do you how do you find those? And and again, I think that comes down to education on board, it mm. is to opening the doorways of why you would want to go somewhere. Mm. So to create a, a voyage, you need to have you know, an iconic destination, you know, you need to have somewhere that attracts people to go, but then you've got to have the surprises. You've yes. got to have the little nuances, the little new places. And I think that's what we we look at to select destinations. Then before you know it, we have other others following us and it becomes a regular destination on everyone's itinerary. That's it. And then you, and then it's overcrowded and you've got to move on. <laughs> so, <laughs> then we keep, well, exactly. We keep finding new ones. Well, yeah. <laughs> so it's a mixture of culture and wildlife, really, isn't it? Oh, look, it is, Peter. It's, it's a matter of, of trying to find, you know, a unique bespoke experience. And that could be cultural, historical, wildlife orientated, you know, whatever that may be and, and looking for those areas. You know, and it's it is probably the the best part of my job is looking for somewhere new to go. It's just doing that research and, and reading things and thinking, wow, I've never heard of this place before. And then, you know, and I think what sets, separates us as a company is that we then do the legwork and, and we'll actually go to these places as remote as they may be and then discuss with those communities or the people involved how do we achieve this and how do we make a, a mutually beneficial relationship out of this and then bring our guests afterwards. That's amazing. So you, you'd you go to the whoever they are, the leaders, the mayor, the tribal elders, and say, we're going to bring some guests here. Um, what would their initial reaction be? <laughs> oh. Have you had some go, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you been shot at with um, poison spears <laughs> at any stage? Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, I've survived most of them, which which is good. Some of them have been, have been a little bit difficult <laughs> to start with. But most of the time, that it's a similar reaction mm. is, and that is, why would you want to come here you know and you and then they'll say well what do you want us to do we can do this for you we can do that for you it's like no you we don't want to change anything you know the important thing here is that it's an authentic experience we're here to 
to immerse ourselves in the culture. Wow. So please don't change anything. You know, you don't, you're not, don't want to be Disneyland. That must be so humbling to see the look on their faces when they realise that they have something of value just by being themselves. Absolutely. I mean, when you take guests in for the first time into remote villages, it's one of the most overwhelming experiences you can do, you know. Mm. And I love capturing the photographs and and we finish the day and we we do the briefing and and I'll always ask the guests, what did you do today? And, And when they look back on it, they probably actually didn't achieve anything we set out to because they were just overwhelmed by all the people. <laughs> Nothing went to plan, yeah. you yeah. know. Everything was thrown out the window, yeah. and and yet they had the most remarkable time. Yes, I know. So this, the the I know plan this. becomes no plan, um, and then that's the best. Yeah, the best experience ever. And I know this is a hard question, but you must be asked it all the time. But personal favourites. Personal favourites, yeah, it is a hard one, Peter. But you know, to to keep it simple, I I still think areas like the Kimberley, uh, Eastern Indonesia, that remote archipelago for me, and probably Papua New Guinea. Wow, fantastic, excellent. And so, Penant does pride itself on ensuring that onshore communities benefit uh, from you know what basically what is a luxury lines visit. Um, and I believe you've made a lot of moves on that front to create the right atmosphere and to get guests to understand what they're walking into. Yeah, and look, exactly, Peter. We we spend the time to set up the relationships initially and and then we ensure that the community wants us to go. We ensure that we understand the politics in those communities, particularly in areas like Papua New Guinea where you've got, you know, 7, 10, 12 tribal elders running the entire village. So you need to get consensus with all of them and you need to ensure there's there's transparency there for, for that. So in dealing directly with them, we ensure that they get the maximum benefit from that and that's very important to us. So you want to encourage interaction. I mean, I, I remember uh, when I first went to Fiji, there's this amazing place where they've actually got that kind of airport style queue. You go in at one side, but what you don't know is there are four entrances and four groups oh. going into the same one. And you're walking around this so-called village, but actually you're just walking, you know, in a set pattern <laughs> so that you don't meet the other four parties who are also oh doing it. And, and and you And when you come out, you realize, there are four more parties waiting to go in and you think, oh, this, this is just terrible. And then the village must feel like a bit of a zoo on show. That's just tragic. But And you can't possibly talk to anybody mm. there. I mean, what everybody's dying to do, I, I would say, is to you know have some interaction so you can actually get to know what people do and ask them and maybe tell them what you do. And Absolutely. Exchange. Peter, you're, you're 100% right. I, the the key with it is that we, we set up the initial you know, contact. So when we arrive at the village, we have to go through the protocol of the welcome. And then there's always a dance performance because that's part of the ritual of them always accepting people into the village. And then we would encourage everyone to Mm. do it. You know, it's remarkable. I, I always say to guests that, you know, if we go tomorrow and we go into the village and it ran like clockwork, you know, like the other week I was down in Sydney and I, and I watched Moulin Rouge, which is you know, such a great performance, you know, mm. and it is yeah. sharp. It's it's yeah. on time. When you're in a village in remote Absolutely. Indonesia or Papua New Guinea, nothing mm-hmm. goes on time because none of it's rehearsed. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's real. It's, it's island it's time. It's all real. Do you know... 
You've just made me remember, Mick, one of the best things I ever did was, as you said, it's an unexpected place and time. I was in Myanmar on a, a work trip and we got to go right up through the Irrawaddy to some of these remote areas and visit a little school. And it could not have been planned, but the only way we could really kind of communicate and exchange things, it, it boiled down to songs that we knew and then songs that they knew. So we were kind of singing our best version of Waltzing Matilda. I can picture this. And then they gave us their, like, you know, school anthem in return. And it was just absolute chaos and one of the best moments of my life. That's fabulous. Yeah. Great story. Yeah. But I think it is like that when, you, when you've said, you know, it's unexpected, you can't plan it, and it's moments of yeah. magic that become so yeah. memorable. And it's real. Mm. That's that's the thing that you can't get away from. It's unlike that Fijian village, which was complete. I mean, the worst part is that if you were there at five o'clock, you'd see the so-called chief and the elders get on their mopeds <laughs> with all their <laughs> all their gear off and ride home <laughs> to their real village. Uh, you know where they'd arrive, walk through the door, and the wife would say, "Well, I kind of day you had oh, <laughs> Oh, those tourists. Oh, they're rude. I'm going to cut you off there. I'm, okay. going, to, I'm going to move on to this next Good. next question here. Now, I'm going to bring it back to the ship and Penance ships in particular. Oh, they're a little lovely. bit special. The, uh, the small ships are luxurious and, of course, there's the French heritage. So, like, let's, let's face it, it's the best food and wine and champagne <laughs> in the world. Am I right? Stop it. <laughs> I think it's a <laughs> great true. combination. Would you agree, Mick? I mean, this is yeah. your office, right? We're talking about. <laughs> a fantastic office. And <laughs> I think the, the combination there, we're very proud of our French heritage and being able to combine that, you know, little bit of luxury with really remote areas. And and it's funny, isn't it? I've always said it, that it, as a guest on board, we get to take you mm. slightly out of your comfort zone ashore in remote areas, but then you get to come back to the most comfortable zone. You know, and, and that's the key with it. That is, oh, it was so hot out there today. Oh, I was <laughs> while you're drinking a GNT that's perfectly made. You know, that's what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Where's my wet flannelette for my brow? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Amazing. But there are also, to be uh, more serious, a bunch of experts on board that will actually take you through what you're seeing. So it's an enormous learning curve as well. It's, you know, of course, it's so much better with a glass of champagne, but there's real purpose and value in what you're doing. Yeah, there is. And, and, and exactly. Get, getting serious. We pride ourselves on the education we give because we don't want you to go to a location, just take a photo and go back to the ship. We want you to go to a, a location and understand why you're there, understand the reasoning for it and what's special mm -hmm. about it. And, and this, whether that be historical, cultural, environmental, you know, because why did you choose this voyage uh, if it's not to learn about where you're going to go and what you're going to experience? And that creates a holistic you know, holiday for you. Exactly. I know. And they're amazingly um, interesting people. I follow one of your expedition leaders called Laura, actually. And I still remember, I've still actually reposted one of her amazing pieces of video of how a polar bear crosses very thin ice, oh. lying spread eagle. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. And she got so many views of that one 
small item, slice of life that she witnessed. It's really amazing. I mean, I really recommend anyone and then to follow your that's your how leaders. You come home on a Saturday night <laughs> that, when Teresa isn't sure where you've been. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the living room that, floor. That's certainly skating on thin ice. <laughs> but the ships themselves, Mick, they're really well equipped, aren't they? So you you you've got your um, expedition ships, you've got your zodiacs, um, you've got some amazing equipment on board, and the best leaders that know what they're talking about. Yeah, phenomenal, and and for a maximum of two hundred and forty guests as well. It's it's a personal experience. Yeah, look, uh, the ships are purpose expedition built, but they still were built with the refined luxury, which allows them to be at home in the Mediterranean as much as it does in Antarctica or the Arctic. You know, so with our zodiacs, our stable marina platforms, easy to get in and off uh, the zodiacs, go ashore anywhere. Uh, but also mm. because of their fantastic lines and, and the style and, and set out on board, they're perfectly at home sitting in the med. They are indeed beautiful. And look, the latest Le Commandant Charcot is really a tremendous advance for expedition ships. Really special. I mean, it's. I think recently it, it achieved a new milestone, the remote heart of the Northwest Passage. So really, I mean, driving into areas of expedition, not like a soft adventure ship at all. And it's the world's first hybrid electric LNG-powered polar expedition ship. Wow. An amazing achievement. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful to try and say that, isn't it? <laughs> it's, um, oh, she's certainly a game changer. Uh, you know, she's she's different, unique. Uh, many many years in research and development to to concept stage before you know even a piece of metal was laid down. So, you know, what we've done here is is mm. try to integrate you know our clients with more even more of an immersive learning experience. You know, we've taken citizen science to the next level you know so we we've got you know working laboratories on board we we have scientists who come on board and and, wow. and actually do real research you know and so that's another level again for it fabulous mm. really love it that's extraordinary. I can't help but, again, picture you as James Bond that goes out <laughs> into the wild and does all the hard work and then back at home base. You've got Q in the science lab, um, you know, and, and doing all this sort of innovative work behind the scenes and, um, and it's just the perfect combination. I, I love it. Very cool. But now there is also another very special Penance ship that I'd like to talk about. And Peter, I know you're particularly interested in this one. Ah, yes. Le Penant, a spectacular three-masted sailing ship with room for only 32 guests in 16 staterooms. And she'll be sailing the Kimberley from April next year. I think the Kimberley holds a special place in your heart, right, Mick? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's one of the world's great last wilderness areas. You know, it, it's remarkable to think that this is our own backyard. Yet we have, you know, it's home to the, the oldest continuing culture. It's home to the world's largest reptile. It's home to the only two horizontal falls. It's home to the world's largest inshore reef system. Wow. It's home to the world's largest population of migrating humpback whales. You know, why wouldn't you find it remarkable? It's just amazing. 
I've got to say, even as you say all of that, you're, you know, I'm humbled by the fact that we're here in the country and can go and see it. For those who are just listening to the podcast, I can tell you that I'm, I can see Mick right now. And behind you, Mick, you've got this incredible artwork that's from the Kimberley region as well. I mean, that's a huge part. For me, I'm really passionate about the Indigenous art. From, from the Kimberley in particular. Yeah, look, it is, and it's special. It's so nice to have a part of that in, in my home office. It, you know, it always reminds me of, of kind of where I long to be and where my where my special place is and and the, the role that our First Nations people play in the Kimberley and how important those connections are for, for us as operators there, but also for our clients to understand that 65,000 years plus of history that is in that ancient landscape. Exactly. And so, I mean, is it possible to come up with an itinerary with that much on offer to explore? How do you how do you do that? <laughs> with great difficulty. And the great thing is that there's always a reason to go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try another voyage. Do it differently. Yes. Ah, oh, yes. Good point. <laughs> well, and, and then that leads to the best question of when is the best time to visit the Kimberley? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to answer because if I had my 15 members of the expedition team here today, each one of them would probably give you a different answer. So I always say that the, the best time to go is as soon as possible. Good. I like that. I can <laughs> and work preferably with that. aboard Le Penant, which yeah. I must say, as a yachty, I am just dying to see sailing in the Kimberley. Um, it's going to be magnificent sight. Oh, you and me both, Peter. Mm. Yeah, amazing. And on top of that, you get a seaplane ride. Ooh. Can't wait. Well, can I tag along too? <laughs> now, Penant isn't the first, it's not the first cruise line to cotton on to the beauty of this region. Um, there are already so many cruise lines that are that are going to be navigating these waters this summer. So so Penant isn't alone in, in their passion for this area. Yes, that's true. And in fact, I think Penant has led some of the uh, recent talks with the Western Australian government about ensuring that uh, that the region is safeguarded against overcrowding. I think this is going to be our biggest season. Is that right, Mick? Or is it next year when so many ships are coming? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's ever increasing, Peter. And, you know, I can remember when I first started there, there was three or four operators. And, and today we're at 38 operators along the Kimberley coast, you know, and the numbers are increasing every year. And so everyone's concerned about maintaining that wilderness experience. And I think, you know, we just have to take a leaf out of areas like Alaska and Antarctica and work together. And if everyone's working together, then we can come to the table and maintain that wilderness experience. But if people don't want to work together, then we are going to have issues. Yes. And it's not just um, uh, making sure that you don't arrive with a bunch of other ships in what should be a remote area. There's also concern about uh, about whether or not people are equipped to sail in what is a very difficult area of water. Mm. You know, look, Peter, it's a really good point you make there because it is quite treacherous waters. Uh, it, it is areas in which, you know, the, the soundings, the bathymetric surveys are, are not as good as they are in elsewhere. And, and again, this is what sets us apart because next week I'm actually going up to the Kimberley for two weeks uh, and we are undertaking our own bathymetric surveys on a charter vessel for 12 days because we have oh, right. new destinations wow. we want to visit yep. in, with Le Penant. And to ensure that we can do those safely and reliably, we are going up there to create our own charts and to create 
our own passages and, and we would be the only company that would be doing that. Oh, my God, that is so cool. I love that. <laughs> I mean, most of the lines, I'm I'm sure they're all pretty responsible and they do their best. But and right now I'm picturing, you know, some of these foreign captains from Italy or the Greek islands who, uh, you know, casually sipping their Americano espresso <laughs> and then, oh, la la, where did this island come from? <laughs> that, that was not an Italian I'm... or Greek accent. But anyway, um, yeah, it, it must give you some peace of mind as well, knowing that you've personally played a role in checking the areas that you're navigating. Absolutely. And it's the same thing we do with all of our captains. We, All of our captains will, uh, you know, be an understudy to someone who's had Kimberley experience and spent time in the areas. So we're always doing that and ensuring that there's a good handover procedure from season to season and captain to captain so that we are not... Yeah, everyone who's turning up in the Kimberley has experience with those waters, and that's really important. And particularly as the traffic increases, you know, we need to ensure that the people, everyone operating there, has that experience and knowledge to operate safely in in quite challenging waters. Mm. So the Kimberley really has got an extraordinary indigenous population, uh, and there are extraordinary measures that uh, you put in place to work closely with some of these communities. Tell us a little about how they do play a part. Look, I think what's great about the Kimberley is that it, it's traditional land. It's their country. And the great thing about the development of, of onshore tourism with the, the First Nations people is that it's allowing them to spend time on their own country. You know, it's allowing them to go back to country, to actually go back to managing their sacred sites, having an ability to get there, you know, and that ability to get there is is funded through um, tourism. So for me, it works very much as a as a mutually beneficial relationship because we're able to provide our clientele with that lovely interaction with First Nations people. We're able to have them in those wonderful rock art galleries telling their stories to our guests, and and that's an amazing experience. But it then allows them to remain on country as well and, and to get back on country, and that's a really important thing for their connection to the land, which is so important to them. Mm. Very good. Now I'm going to change the subject just ever so slightly um, and put it back on you, Mick. I have been told that you're quite a talented photographer Um, and no doubt this has been helped by some of these incredible destinations that you've spent time in. I mean, maybe some people can just accidentally um, take a great shot no matter what they photograph. That'd be me. (laughs) That'd be Peter sitting on his phone by mistake and taking some masterpiece. That would be me. Yeah, yeah. Oops, pocket shot. There it goes. Um, Yeah, put that on the wall. Um, But I'm sure that's not the case for you. you. You must have some genuine talent involved here but you know these places must be very inspiring for your photography all the same oh they are very much so and and look as you mentioned i've been lucky enough to to travel to so many places and be in the right place at the right time but also i've been lucky enough to you know, be in those right time and places. And that's important when it comes to wildlife photography in particular. But I've also had great opportunities of being on board vessels with some of the greatest renowned photographers in the world and also from Australia, you know. So, the, wow. you know, being able to get them to to give you some guidance has certainly helped me remarkably. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it's been a passion I've had for, for many, many years. 
I'm sure the subjects helped as well. Look, now it's time to throw some really quick-fire questions at you, Mick. So, uh, as the psychologists say, just respond with the first thing that comes into your mind. <laughs> There's no right or wrong here. So, what's your favourite part of the world? The Kimberley. Okay. Nice answer. Okay, next. What is the one outstanding bucket list expedition experience that everybody should do in their life? The Kimberley. <laughs> Which animals are you most concerned about at the moment? Oh, interesting. And no, there are Kimberleys. Interesting enough, I would have to say koalas. <laughs> I would have to say koalas at the moment, living oh, in North Carolina. Yeah, good answer, actually, yeah. In the yeah. current climate, yeah. that's for sure. Okay, next one. Why is Penant the best way to experience expedition? Oh, luxury, small ships, highly skilled staff and beautiful food and wine. <sighs> You've got us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one as well. Is it true that you'll get to, um, when you're with Le Penant in the Kimberley, you get to experience a vintage Grumman Mallard seaplane from Paspale, the Pearl Company? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that, it's true. That, don't it say true. that was a loaded question at all. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs onboard helicopters when you can have beautiful flying boats like that? That wasn't a question. Okay, now, <laughs> next question. Mick, have you had any memorable encounters with wildlife, uh, you know, crocs, um, Komodo dragons, um, scenery, and if so, what? Yeah, I've, had, I've been lucky enough to have a few. I think, you know, places like Macquarie Island where you can lie down and have, you know, elephant, juvenile elephant seals come up and lie next to you or even try and lie on top of you. Um, and wow. going, oh, going oh to places gosh. like that where the wildlife doesn't fear you because you're a human being, they just think you're another animal. I think those are the, the most humbling experiences. And, you know, for anyone who's stared eyeball to eyeball with, with whales, it's it's another one of the most remarkable things you can do mm. as well. So, and, you know, orangutans, having, having them stare at you is and examine your soul is, is the yeah. remarkable <laughs> one. Where do I stop? <laughs> I just got goosebumps. Oh, my goodness. I'm trying to imagine myself staring at a whale, but I don't think I can. <laughs> Um, so what can you do on the ships for those that are already very excited by the whole f idea we've been talking about? What kind of um, activities do you have? So depending on, on the environment, Peter, obviously we're not going to go kayaking in the Kimberley, um, but you know, we'll certainly do that in, in areas like the Arctic <laughs> and, and Antarctica uh, and certainly in the more tropical zones like Papua New Guinea and, and East Indonesia, you know, where we have our kayaks, our stand-up paddle boards. We also offer diving. Uh, as well. And providing all the equipment and we have our dive masters on board, obviously mm. our zodiacs to get everyone ashore and to, to explore yep. those those far-flung regions uh, and, and enjoy that from the luxury of a, of a small boat with a, with your own guide on board. Uh, so I think they're sort of the, the things we're looking at. Spectacular. Fabulous. Love yes. it. Oh, wow. Okay, now this is the last question um, with the quick fire here, Mick. But um, I have to ask, before, of course, you sail off into the distance with your Zodiac, what is next in store for Penant after the Kimberley? Give us a, a quick exclusive reveal for 2023 and beyond. So for Le Penant, so, yeah, we're going to have to mm -hmm. go through that Indonesian archipelago up through the remote areas, you know, oh. areas like 
Raja Ampat up into it. to Kimby Bay. That's where I want to go. <laughs> All of those little areas. Oh, yes. The pink beach. Oh, bring it on. <laughs> They're amazing new areas, aren't they? Uh, they're just right. They're really so close to us and, and undiscovered. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, yeah well, can't wait. Absolutely. I think it's, yeah, they're just perfectly designed for, for sailing ships. And, and that's one of the key things we've done in designing the itineraries in, is ensuring that we've put in time just to sail because that's what you want to do on a sailing ship. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, right. I do. The, I can't The wind wait. in your hair, 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 well, yeah, Peter. I'm afraid it's not the same sailing <laughs> my little hunter around the, uh, the Sydney Harbour. Oh, show Well, off. Mick, I've just decided you've got the best job in the world. So where do I apply to be your assistant? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I can see it now. You two on a little Zodiac together. What, what could what go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, so true. I'll be in the seaplane. Thanks so much. Uh, Mick, we can't thank you enough for your time today. We know that you've got a lot on your plate. Very exciting stuff right around the corner. Very inspiring. We can't wait to be following your adventures. No worries. Well, thank you very much for, for allowing me the time today. And it's, it's always great. I, I, you know, I love talking about what I do and, and, and where we take our guests. And, and you're right, Peter, it's, it's, it's often times when I pinch myself and, and think, how did I end up here and, and how have I got this job and, and how lucky I really am? You know, so, but that's okay. I've, I've got a wonderful wife and she often grounds me. So that helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you look as if you really love it. And and I think that's uh, 90% of the battle. So really inspiring to talk to you. Congratulations on what you do. Thank you very much. And while Penance 2023 Kimberley season still has some availability, the line has just released its 2024 Kimberley season program, which I'm sure won't last long. So Penance operates small luxury expeditions every year on their expedition purpose-built vessels from April through to September between Broome and Darwin. So book your Kimberley luxury expedition with Penance. Contact your preferred travel agent and call 1300 7371. Seven eight, or visit au.pernant.com. First-timers will receive a $400 discount per person as a welcome offer. And there's a 25% extra value on many cruises. Conditions apply. Well, uh, I'm imagining you're about to book your I'm, trip, Peter. I'm on the phone right now. <laughs> and that's our action hero who sails the Sydney Harbour <laughs> at twilight. Yes, that's as exciting as I get, Mick. <laughs> that's still pretty cool. Um, and, of course, the next edition of Cruise and Travel, our gorgeous print magazine, is on sale now at selected newsagents, or you can subscribe, cruisepassenger.com.au forward slash magazine. Thank you again, Mick Fogg from Penant. That's it for Cruise Passenger today. Have an awesome afternoon. Thanks a lot, guys. Great to uh, talk to you. Thank you.